Luke 13. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the others because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too perish. He told them then in verse 6 this parable. He said, a man who had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. There's uh, an image of grace for me that comes out in this passage. In a moment, we're going to get into the background and, and then we're going to take some time unpacking why an ancient story like this with all sorts of interesting layers and dimensions to it would have anything notable for us 21st century urbanites. But as, as uh, we like to say here at Sanctuary, um, there is a, a posture that we can have that is sitting back, waiting to sort of be uh, entertained, um, waiting to be um, wowed, waiting to have our intellect. Um, I don't know sparked a bit waiting to have some sort of um, moment of fascination and then there is a posture of sitting forward which is a belief that those of us in the room who are Christians we believe that when this book is open and when it is taught even when the pastor is as bad as I am that uh, silence um even when the past, you know, no matter what, there's something here. There's something here for us. At the very least, we know that God, just through the reading of his word throughout the centuries, has done things to, 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 to stir in us. He's done, he's done things throughout history that have sparked movements of love and justice and beauty. He has healed and restored and encouraged and challenged throughout the ages. And so I want to encourage, do you believe you might not, that's okay. But for those that do, do you believe, and I want to hear you say, like, I believe that, that, that God might speak to you in a powerful way over the next 30 minutes. Do you believe, do we believe that, right? That we, that, that we could position our hearts. I think we love to sit back, our posture, our culture in so many ways to sit back and, and just receive. And I don't know about you, but in every sphere of life from like, exercise and dieting to leadership principles to getting better at my craft. Like it's the people who lean in, who, who, who are, who are wide eyed and looking and open 
And though these are the people that progress, that grow. And when it comes to the way of Jesus, the question should not be over the next few minutes is how did Pastor Andrew do? It's how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Do we believe that God might speak to us right now? Do we believe that there might be like a moment that would shift the atmosphere in our hearts? Do we believe that? All right, let's believe that together. Sound good? I'm just rocking like this, like I'm about to pounce on you all. I might. Can I ask one more favor? Beyond being expectant, um, unless you like really got to use the bathroom, can we all like stay seated for the sermon? Just a little housekeeping. That would be great. That would be great. Unless you got to get up. I know some people would say, you got to get up. You got that restless leg syndrome. Like you just, you got to move. That's all right. But just could, could we all just, just for the sake of others, it doesn't bother me that much. I've gotten used to it. But if we could just, for the sake of the people around us, can we lean in and stay focused? Uh, you retain much more out of a talk, out of a sermon, if you take notes. I think that it goes up something like 12, 15% uh, like of, um, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Retention, thank you, happens when you take, when you actually take notes. So, you know, if that's taken out your phone or a piece of paper, turn with me when we turn to the scripture. There's a reason a lot of times we don't put the verses on the screen. We try to go back and forth with that. A lot of that has to do with wanting you to open up your Bible and your app so you can make your notes because this is not meant to be a moment of entertainment. All right. I mean, I hope I entertain you a little bit just because I'm an idiot, but let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we are open and ready. I love this family so stinking much. And Lord, you, I've seen you grow. I have seen you heal and seen you encourage and seen you call out and put back together and reconcile time and again. And if you would use even a simple little moment like this on just a normal, ordinary Sunday, Lord. God, we just, we're ready for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, a couple years ago, my, uh, my family was ready to go on a vacation, and uh, we have this yearly vacation. I, I sometimes joke, I, I uh, you know, indulgences are a thing of the past, right, where where like money is given to uh, to a family in order to marry, um, you know, marry the uh, a spouse, and I, I like to joke there there was there, there felt like there was a little bit of a, a of a, of an added bonus besides the wonder and beauty that is my wife Corey. I married into like a killer vacation. Her family every single year takes this just amazing vacation. They like save money, have a timeshare, do a whole thing. It's in a tropical location. It's kind of magical. And, uh, and I don't have to spend a lot of money on it. It's an unbelievable privilege. It's, it's such a gift. Um, anybody from East Greenwich? No, just kidding. I'm not going <laughs> to make jokes about East Greenwich. Uh, North New Jersey. No? Okay, never mind. All right. So we're getting ready to go on this vacation. Now, our daughter has been born recently. I can't remember how old she was, our first daughter, Harper. And... Um, my, my wife is so meticulous when it comes to details. Uh, she is meticulous when it comes to planning and preparation. Uh, there is not a whole lot that she misses. And uh, so it's a joy to bring to you one of my wife's miss in front of 200 of my closest friends. 
she, uh, we get to the, I had, I, I had asked her, but I didn't know, and I didn't do the research, right? Um, like, like Adam and he got, it's like, it wasn't me. Um, it wasn't, I didn't do it. We show up to the uh, airport, and uh, I, she um, had missed a number of, of warnings and some language and, and kind of didn't parse out some details saying that my youngest needed a passport. So we are at the hospital, or at the, uh, at, at the airport. We are at the airport, and it's like 5 in the morning or something ridiculous, like that quarter of 5 in the morning, getting a really early flight down to Mexico. And um, we get there, and the woman at the, at the uh, bag check-in says, yeah, I'm not sure where you read that. And I immediately go to the, def- like, you don't need a passport for your one-year-old. And I just go right to the, like, I, I get a little uh, uh, aggressive, confrontational. And I'm like, there's no way my wife is wrong. I'm sorry, woman who works for Southwest. You've got it wrong. You're wrong. I mean, I launch into, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. You need to do some, you know, to go, I don't know, Google it or something. I don't know what I was expecting her to go do. So I quickly humble myself and realize, like, nope, I, I, I am wrong. And the whole family's wrong. Corey's wrong. Corey feels awful. Uh, I, I just snapped in immediately to, it's okay. It, like, it, this is just so uncharacteristic of her. I take Harper, and we decide, um, well, we, we, we have to go. And she's like, well, I'm going to stay. I'm like, no, go on your vacation. All your sisters are here. Uh, so I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of pushing her through the terminal. We'll be okay. And then we find out that there actually is a chance that we could still get down to Mexico in a couple days. So it's, I believe it's a Saturday or Sunday morning, I can't remember, anyway. And so on Monday, me and Harper, my one-year-old, could drive to Boston, like sit in a big, giant government building for a day, basically, literally, and sit there and get an emergency passport printed like right then and there. There's, in other words, there's a little like, there's a window. So there's all these warnings leading up, and then even there's an unbelievable grace moment where like, hey, this happens we had to show them where that we are flying out, like prove to them, like, no, literally my family's in Mexico right now. Um, by the way, that morning when I left, I don't know any other spouses like this, I just felt like I did all the right things. I didn't get mad. I'm with, I'm with my little child. Um, I'm like, I'm okay. We went back and went to sleep. We woke up. We drove directly to Julian's, and I think I bought like a $70 brunch. Didn't eat it, didn't have the money to spend it on it. I was, it was just this like internal sense of this is okay that I do this. <laughs> so I have, so Corey's having a hard enough time just enjoying being there. She knows like we're back here. Long story short, we wait in Boston all day. We were able to move our flight, I think, to Tuesday. We got down there. I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday. We missed a couple days. And so I arrive with, with Harper, and I just, I literally walk, walk in. They're all waiting for me. Corey just looks at me, and she just goes, Andrew, Andrew, I'm so sorry. I'm so, whatever you need, whatever you want for the next couple days, I'll just watch the girl. And I just look at her. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. It wasn't that hard. But, um. There's all these warning signs that were missed. And then at the end of being like, oh my gosh, we are not going to get to go on this family vacation, grace shows up. The U.S. government, (laughs) in a rare act of grace, made a way where there seemed to be no way. 
This story that we read, um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. A lot of other Galileans are going there as well for Passover. This group of people are under the boot of, of, of Roman oppression. They are an occupied people. A couple hundred years or so before there was a revolt, another revolt is stirring. Jesus isn't the only character walking around who's claiming like Messiah, but he's the only one acting super peculiar and gathering massive crowds. And so the disciples come to Jesus and and we get this report that Pilate, who is the governor of the day over this particular area of Rome, um, has, has massacred a bunch of people, a bunch of Galileans, a bunch of Jews, while worshiping. Now we know, even if we didn't have any of the Bible, we know that Pilate, this like lines up with Pilate's character. Pilate is ruthless. Ruthless, ruthless. We have from a number of historians exactly how bad this particular governor was. He was always about striking fear into any potential rebellion. This is why, as we've talked about with Palm Sunday, all of the hoopla, why so many people are there, Pilate would have been empty, coming in alongside Roman fanfare from one side of the city with all of the militarism, and you got Jesus coming in from the other side of the city on a donkey saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to do a little contrast here of what really is going to save the world, and it's not Rome, and it's not power over, and it's not violence. This is not how the world gets changed. So before that whole scene, though, you've got the disciples going, hey, look, because there's a common thought at this day and age, in this day and age, and I think it's funny, it still carries over today. Sometimes I think we have this distance from our, our more ancient brothers and sisters in terms of what we know but all of the texts, right, there's another part of this. Um, there are 18 who died when a tower fell. And these disciples want to know, are these Galileans, these Jews who died by this tower falling, who died when Pilate massacred them d- during worship, are they the bad ones? No one likes to admit that this idea still floats around our world, that when people like something awful happens to them, I think in our subconscious, for many of us, we go, I wonder what they did. And so these disciples, like, like what happened in their life? Or, this is the whole idea uh, of karma that has made this sort of recent um, reemergence in popularity. It's literally built around this ancient idea that Jesus punches holes straight through on the regular. Which is to say, no, 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 no. Actually, you're, that's not about that. But then Jesus uses this moment as these Galileans are going, hey, is the reason why, are these like the bad ones and why this bad stuff is happening? Jesus goes, no, that's not what's happening. But honestly, what's, what, what is happening in terms of these deaths of these Jews who are heading towards, it's going to actually happen to all of us no matter what. If you don't, and he uses this word, repent. If you don't repent, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, if you don't repent. Jesus is using this word repent in a specific way. Right? As he's headed into enemy-occupied territory, and he's hearing from his disciples that the government is making a habit of killing, of, of, of uh, bringing violence and, 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 um, and sort of bully tactics to these people because they're scared that some sort of Jewish revolt is going to rise up. Jesus keeps telling them, and he tells them throughout Luke, we don't have time to do a big Bible study, repent. 
And our temptation is to read repent like we read it like people who are like holding big giant signs outside of parades going repent and you're gonna, or you're going to go to hell. To be very clear, in no way does the context in a, even a little bit infer that's what Jesus is talking about right now. Turn away from this ridiculous scheme of trying to take back Rome, to try to take back Jerusalem, sorry, from Rome. Like, violence is not going to solve this. There's a way to be in the world, and you're not being it. And I'm telling you, it's all going to lead to death. It's not going to work out well for any of you. For any of you. He keeps saying, repent in the same way. Repent in the same way. He's inviting them to abandon this crazy flight into national rebellion. He's telling them to walk the way of God, to walk the way of love, to walk the way of life. And then he tells them this parable. So repent. Repent in the same way. Repent in the same way. Like, look, look, look this all... It's not about those people were worse because the tower fell on them. It's not that these people were worse because they were worshiping. We don't know the context of what was happening there. But Jesus is going, look, look, look. If you don't turn, y'all going to die. And so in that sense, if we want to bring it all the way back to some eternal ramification, I guess you could have fun with the text in that way. Of like, this is, there is a way of death outside of the way of Jesus we walk into. And so he tells this parable. So again, if you have your Bibles, Luke, we're in Luke 13. Luke 13, right in the beginning. And this parable comes in in verse 6. Verse 6. A man had a fig tree. Let's stop there. So many layers to this story. I'm going to do my best. The man had a fig tree. So a fig tree... If you look, if we went back to Hosea 9 uh, as the key place, but throughout literature, the fig tree is representative of Israel, of these Galileans, of these Jews, of this nation that was meant to be a blessing that Jesus is critiquing. Remember, Jesus spends all his time critiquing the religious establishment. That's who he's going after. You guys are supposed to be a blessing to the world, and you've created a system with a bunch of rules and regulations that don't line up with the heart of God. You've compromised on all the wrong things. Compromised on all the wrong things. You've been inclusive in all the wrong ways and exclusive, inclusive in all the right way, all wrong ways and exclusive in all the wrong ways. You, you, you've, you've, you've lost the plot and Jesus is coming in and he says, all right, so first off, let me tell you a story that's gonna make sense of this whole, hey, repent or things are gonna go bad for you. Turn around. By the way, that's their definition of repent is to turn, to shuva, to return. Repent is not a scary word, no matter like what crazy person holds it up on a sign at a football game. It's a beautiful word. It's about returning to God. Turn away. It has inferences in the Greek of like a changing of your mind. Like a turning back to who you were created to be. Repent. So he says, let, let me make sense of all this. A man had a fig tree. So he, he's clearly already, all the ears in the story are all perked up. So he's talking about, he's talking about us. He's talking about the tribe. He's talking about the crew, the people of God. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but it did not have any. 
fruit in the Scripture. We could do study upon study. But the Scriptures talk about fruit. You don't even have to know anything about the Bible, I'm sure, to get the basic idea. Right? These people were meant to be a blessing to the world, and they're not being it. They're meant to follow this law, Torah, which was the, like, the way, the truth, and the life. That was what Torah was called. They were meant to be a group of people who were a, a, a people of love and blessing for the world and to live a certain way. And so then thus to produce fruit. If you have an apple tree growing in your yard that you planted, and it doesn't produce fruit, it doesn't produce apples after a while, you're going to get rid of it. It's not behaving the way that it was meant to behave. It's not being who it was meant to be. Does anyone in this room ever feel like that? Like, I know I was created to be a person of, like, love and forgiveness and generosity, and, like, there's just there's none of those things, none of those words are hanging off me at all. Anyone ever feel that? Oh, it's tiring. Like, I know, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm better than that. I know I'm more loving than that. I know I'm more generous than that. I know I'm more forgiving than that. I know I'm more gracious. I know I have a call inside of me. I know there's things I'm supposed to give my energy to. I know I'm supposed to be more patient with. Like, I know there's that, and it's just not there. So a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on this tree. Didn't find any. Didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up any of the soil? The owner of the vineyard comes to the gardener and he's like, I keep coming back to this tree. Three years, by the way, is not so much a reference to Jesus' three years on earth. For those, again, who know the scripture, this is a very Jewish way of saying an ample amount of time. So he comes and he looks at the, 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 uh, the, the, the tree and he's, Jesus is telling the story and he's like, it's just not doing anything. It's not even like he's mad. I think we like to read that he's mad. It's just like, it's, it's a useless tree. And again, he's talking about the religious establishment. You're here to be a blessing, and I'm seeing a whole lot of nothing. Cut it down. And so in the context of what we've even been talking about, many have pointed out that basically this is Luke just going, this is what's going to happen to the temple. It's all getting cut down if they keep going the way of violence to undo the things of Rome. Different sermon. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, cut it down. Why should it use up any soil? So let's clarify our characters. How many of you think Jesus is the, uh, is the vineyard owner? How many think Jesus is the gardener? How many can't hear me right now? How many? <laughs> it's okay, no guilt. It's early. It's kind of muggy in here. How many people think uh, Jesus, there's two characters, vineyard owner, gardener. How many people think Jesus is the vineyard owner in this story? How many people think people, Jesus is the gardener in this story? So we're overwhelming gardener. Yeah, I'm kind of with you too. But for the few that raised their hand for the other, people have read this both ways and we come to the same conclusion. God's people, this is his garden. If Jesus is the vineyard owner, he's seeing so little fruit and so he will give them one more chance before he cuts it down. 
or he's the gardener, which again, I think fits better. Jesus uh, is the servant who is now trying as the owner's patience wears thin to dig around and put some manure to inject some life and health into the old plant before the sentence is passed. Either way, we've got some apple trees, some grapes in this case, taking up soil, and we have a people who are, uh, yeah, we have a people who are, are not walking in that way. So verse 8, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So if I got to title the sermon, I would call it uh, Holy Fertilizer, The Manure of Jesus, Grace-Filled Manure, Gospel-Centered Number Two. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop. Um, Jesus is giving us some profound, in, I want you to, to, to zero in with me here. Jesus is giving us some profound insight into the nature of God, into the nature of ultimate reality. This manure here is nothing else but grace. It's another chance. More specifically, it's patience. It's patience. The Bible tells us that God is slow to anger. He does get angry. Be slow to it. We're told that God bears with us. He bears with us in our suffering. But a time of judging will come. He tells them, uh, in Romans, Paul tells us that we need to realize that God's great kindness, his kindness, which is linked to patience throughout the New Testament, it, it, it leads us to this word, repentance. It leads us to turn around. See, God's patience always has a purpose. God's patience always has a purpose. God is patient with us because his purpose is for us. Like that purpose is us. It's patience for the sake of you and your growth. It's patience. Like its purpose is, is for others. It's an active patience. It's an active love. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're told that God who is love, love then uh, seeks the good of another and is patient and endures all things. So we can say love is patient in the same breath that we can say God is patient. He's not just patient like for fun sitting back, though. It's proactive. His patience has a purpose for us. Because this is what love does. This is why love has gotten so twisted in our culture right now. Love wants what's best for someone. So love never just carte blanche, just sort of sits back and goes, cool. But we've adopted this idea that love essentially is, hey, 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 you do you, I'll do me. Which we all know, right, just with like two seconds of greater philosophical thought breaks down very quickly. Because you doing you might totally contradict with you being you. And now all of a sudden, neither of us can be us. Different sermon. I hear in this parable, wait. Jesus saying, the, the, the vineyard owner saying, or sorry, the gardener saying to the vineyard, let me see if I can get their attention. 
Let me see if I can get their attention. Remember the context. Let me see if I can get these Jewish people who want to revolt to adopt a different way, to realize the Messiah is here, to turn around and face the music about what God actually wants for them. Let me see if I can get their attention because they're walking to their death. They're going to get cut down. And again, Luke knows this because he's writing on the other side of the Jewish temple and the Jewish faith being essentially obliterated in 70 AD. He knows this is coming. And so we have Jesus going, look, let me lay down a little fertilizer. If that's the context then, what does it mean for us now? A God who's patient with you. A bunch of you just like gave me the holy, mm, like the cow, the, the Jesus cow. Mm. You gave me some amens when I said, any of you like wish you bore fruit or struggle with bearing fruit. For all those people that were like, yes, that's me. I wish there was more kindness and generosity. Apparently, we have a God who is patient, who's willing to wait but it's a proactive waiting. Let me put a little fertilizer around here. Fertilizer is a proactive move, by the way. We just planted, um, did a little landscaping. I was really proud of myself. Did like landscaping just with like, it was like this big a block, but I felt awesome putting wood chips down. Anyone feel that way? You're like, yeah, wood chips. I'm gonna take my time with this tiny little square. Anyway, a planting, and I realized that our soil is awful. So I had to go out and buy some better topsoil and some manure to make sure that these things, that was a proactive move. I could have just put them in the ground and hoped everything worked out, but I don't think it would have. I needed a little love. I needed some proactive care. This is what Jesus does. Jesus keeps warning them. Jesus keeps nurturing. He keeps showing the way of the kingdom. And then it ends, though, with these brutal words. We can't pretend they're not here. He says, if not, then what? Cut it down. If not, the parable is ultimately a warning against destruction, a warning of what will happen if they don't return to the way of God. It's a warning. And I don't know about you, but I love warnings. I love warnings. Warnings are literally life-giving. A stop sign has kept you from many an accident and lawsuit. Warning, stop here and look. Yellow light comes up. Warning, this light's about to turn red. And Mayor Lorza has installed a camera on top. And we'll catch you if you try to run this. <laughs> Bless you, Mayor. Uh, this is not funny. It's actually really sad, but it feels so weirdly reflective of just something in our culture right now. There have been warning signs that have now gone up on the edges of like cliffs and canyons and monuments all over the country. Do you know why? Yeah, selfies. There has been an unbelievable amount of deaths in the last year over people trying to get the perfect selfie and perfect photo on their phone and have fallen to their death. Like, look it up. It's insane, like, how many this has happened to. It's, it's sad. But in other words, they're putting warnings up. And hey, like, to each generation, there are different warnings needed. And apparently our generation needs, like, a no selfie here, big giant cliff. Be careful. Warnings are life-giving. 
are life-giving. I don't think, I think some of us, when we're immature, we see warnings as life-denying. I think when we're immature, we see warnings as ruining our life. I think we see warnings as restrictive at the very least. But when we mature, right, if we even grow up a little bit, we see them as they are, these life-giving things. Like death is restricting. Falling off a cliff, that's restricting. A warning sign saying, hey, 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 back up like four more feet for your selfie is not like ruining your fun. It's actually giving you life. I get a couple amens on that? Or are you all like strong selfie game? You're like, I hate it. How many don't know what a selfie is? I always love this poll. You're lying. All right, no, I'm just wondering. I'm wondering. We're trying to help our community get a little more diverse. So I'm like hoping there's some folks over 60 who are like, no idea. Not if you're over 60. It doesn't mean you don't know what a selfie is. I'm going to stop. I don't know about you. I live by warnings. My, my calendar is full of them. I, I, basically, I think of reminders as warnings. Like, you're going to be a bad pastor if you don't text these people. I failed. Here's a great example. Uh, I have a, there's a particular home group leader in our church who is awesome. And she has had to remind me on the regular to get the home group notes up on our, like, private site where the home group leaders can read them. I have failed to put a warning in my phone that says, like, hey, you need to get this up in time. And sadly, I am, like, enslaved to my calendar, but I need it. If the warning doesn't come, then I fail to do the thing, and things fall apart in some kind of way. I know it sounds really simple, but warnings, I mean, I'm, like, my best friend. So now I just have one that just says, you're going to get yelled at. Make sure you do it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) If not, then cut it down. This is a warning. But here's where I want to end our time. We could flip it, right? If you don't repent, if you don't produce fruit, why are you even, why, why are you here? Why are you in the family? Why are, we, why are we doing this? If not, cut it down. But if we could flip it, right? Even though this is specifically about this context of people looking to go revolt in Jerusalem, we have something here so powerful for us. Because if it didn't say, if not, What if it said, if so? What if we flipped it? Look, if you don't repent, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to end up in death anyway. But if so, but if so, if you start bearing fruit, Jesus tells us, I've appointed you that you go and bear fruit. I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit is an intentional thing that you go and do. If so, if you go in love, if you go lead other people to where the bread is, if you go and make disciples, if you go and do what I said, if so, then we'll have ourselves some fruit salad. (laughs) If so, we'll have ourselves an orchard. If so, we'll have ourselves a barbecue right in the middle of the vineyard and look around at all the fruit. You're just like, hey, if so, if so, We'll have something that is thriving. We'll have something in Galatians 5. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If so, we'll we'll have all this. If we repent, if we recognize that God's patience is not passive, if we realize that we don't often see the consequences of our sins. Some of us do. 
but there is mercy all around us. If we could see his grace, this fertilizer of resurrection, tweet that out. Second Peter 3 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. The Lord's not slow. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to repentance. There's a lot there. But the one thing that I want to zero in on, right, is he's working. It's good slowness. God is slow in all the best sorts of ways. It's patience. It's one day at a time. It's the spiritual disciplines. It's know the season you're in and know your junk and respond to God's invitation. The text goes on. So then, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things, like while you're waiting, there's a lot in that as well. While you're waiting for things to get put back together in you and in the world, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And regard, here it is, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Regard the patience of our God as salvation. Apparently, you can clap, it's for the word of God, not for me. Like the patience is something that literally produces our saving. Jesus is gone. Let me give him one more chance. Let me, I, 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 let me give him another one. Let me give him another one. Let me give him another year. I got some fertilizer here. We see something about the nature of God in this one story about like stemming revolt. And we see it all through the rest of Scripture. God's patience, His kindness leads us then to wanting to turn. And for those of us that get overwhelmed by all of the ways that we're jacked up in our heart, God's like, no, God, just, just slow. I'm not slow. I'm not slow in the way you think of slowness. One step at a time. Will you allow me to heal you, to put you back together? His patience is your salvation, the manure, the fertilizer. Remember, in this story, it's not preceded by any confession. Jesus going, give me one more year, is not because he like heard the vineyard, like this would be a really weird story at this point because we got talking grapes. But it's not because he like, we don't get any any inference in the story that there was like a confession before Jesus started pouring on the patience. There was no admission of guilt before Jesus was like, no, 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 I gotta, I gotta keep loving him. I gotta come along. I don't want anyone to perish. I want everyone to come to repentance. I'm patient. I'm patient. For the people then, there was no crying out for confession for Jesus to give them a second chance. And you know what? That's not happening now. You know what we call this? Preemptive forgiveness. Preemptive patience. I'm after you. Pay attention. I'm, 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 I'm in the garden around you. Pay attention. I believe God is digging around and leaving manure and tending the garden. Are you going to respond? And responding just looks like turning. Oh my gosh, I know I'm loved by the God of the universe and I know he has things for me. I know God like, could, could do a work. I know I need community and I have no one around me. 
who, who, who can call me out. I know, I know I need to commit to like being at the very least at church on Sunday every week so I can like be refilled and reorient my heart. I know I have this jacked up idea around my own sexual sin and I, need, I know I need, I, God is just there going, yeah, 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 I got you, I got you, I got you. I love you, I love you. Keep coming, keep growing. Preemptive forgiveness, preemptive patience. We see in this story, grace, grace. I wanted to end, um, and I, I, I didn't get a chance to bring this this morning. We just had our third, our third child, so things are a little different around the house. Thanks. Um, and so, thank you. I, uh, I wanted to bring this, but I, like a little prop for you, because I was thinking about my life and this like this flower that I, this little group of flowers I planted, and uh, and how I've needed to tend to it. And reading this story has just caught me off guard. It's been one more place of God's grace over the last couple weeks. Um, there has been um, there has been an unbelievable. Um, I feel like I've had the veil pulled back this week to see the ways that God is tending to me and my garden. I'm not pretending this is even going to mean much to you, but like I just wrote this list down. Um, I have some temptation in my life that got named and called out in the most grace-filled, amazing way. And I just thought, oh, it's a little fertilizer. My wife gave me a journal uh, for Father's Day. We celebrated yesterday and gave me, um, it had like a poem in the front end and in the back end. And it, and it, it framed up everything that like we've been like, way we've been thriving and what we're hoping for for the future and it was just like an overflow of encouragement and joy and it was I, I it was everything I needed that if I read it to you you'd be like oh that's nice but like if you'd even read it back to me and I've read it like six times already I think I'd just start weeping uh, I came across a leadership video really randomly on YouTube and the person speaking in this video like called out exactly what I needed to hear and remind me that like I'm 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 not going down this road I thought I was. Again, long story, but it was like, oh my gosh, that's so strange that I just found this. I don't even like this person who's speaking in this video. God spoke to me in this really quiet moment I had in prayer and offered me his grace in a way I hadn't experienced like tangibly in a long time. And then a friend out of the blue, um, as they're sitting in an airport, their plane was delayed and I happened to text them, encouraged me in, a, in like, in the, the exact way and in the exact moment I needed, it might as well have been God's voice. It was just uncanny. I share that. And that like, I, by the grace of God, I just felt like maybe it was just being in the, I think it was being in the word, honestly, and being in just a space of just worship with my kids over the last two weeks. It was like, I could hear the signal through the noise and I just saw God like just fertilizer everywhere. It's like, Andrew, I got you. We're not cutting anything down here. This thing's going to grow. I have you. I'm tending to you. Imagine a bunch of people walking around this city believing that the God of the universe is patient with them, is tending to them, is waiting and calling them in a non-coercive way through the way of love and grace saying, come on, there's some fruit to bear. Imagine what that would do to a city. One of the 18,000 reasons we're here people 
who are being healed and restored. People who get excited about turning away from the way of death that we may thrive in forgiveness and reconciliation and peacemaking and joy and bringing other people into the kingdom of God. Can I get a amen? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we, um, might we have a moment now of, of, of repentance? Might we have a moment just now seeing them as the life-giving, grace-filled things that they are. Seeing the warnings of what might happen if we keep going down that road or keep thinking that thought or keep not going with those people or keep denying, I don't know what it is for you. Lord Jesus, we believe that you will show up and that you will minister to us as we sing of waiting on you as we sing of your love and your mercy and your peace and kindness and the way they cultivate the soil around us. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you in this moment. We ask you in this moment, Lord, to set us free, Lord. We ask you in this moment to heal. So we stand and we sing or we, we sit and we write, Lord, but we take this moment to come before you and recognize the God who heals.